The New Testament reading is taken from Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he'd chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he'd said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let me say a very good morning to you. Do you remember me? <laughs> I hope some of you do. I'm aware, though, uh, some of you have just started coming to the church recently, so you might not. So let me introduce myself. As uh, Rob said earlier on, my name is Ken, and I'm one of the ministers here. And I've been away on a sabbatical for three months. I'm not going to explain what that is, uh, but uh, I just want to take the chance to publicly say thank you um, to everybody who made that possible uh, for me, not least our incredible staff team. Um, It's been a great blessing for myself and my family uh, to be able to have done this. And I'm also hoping that it will prove incredibly providential uh, in terms of its timing uh, for our church, in terms of, well, things that we need to discuss going forward. More of that later, though. For now, though, it'd be brilliant if you could grab um, a, a, a Bible and turn back up to the book of Acts, get that open in front of you. Always think it's, it's really good um, that you have the Bible in front of you so you can see, well, whoever's preaching up here, whether it's me or someone else, that what we are saying is what God is saying. So let me pray as we start to dive in. Oh Lord Jesus, you have won the victory over sin, death, and the devil, and are risen and reigning over all. You truly are the king, the king of kings. So help us now to truly bow before you in humble and expectant praise, eager to hear what you have to say to us this morning. We pray in your name. Amen. I don't know if you've observed this as one of the kind of golden rules of cinema. You might want to disagree with me on this. I'm not going to go and die on a hill over it, but I tend to find a sequel rarely lives up to the original film. Do you, do you find that? So for every Empire Strikes Back or, or Paddington 2, 
there is a long list of terrible films uh, like Jaws the Revenge with this great big plastic shark. Uh, Zoolander 2, seriously folks, no need. Um, the Matrix Reloaded, Pirates of the Caribbean 2 and 3 and 4. And <laughs> Stop! Lion King 2, Jungle Book 2, and I don't know if you knew there was a Lion King 2 or a Jungle Book 2. If you didn't, then, then maybe that's starting to prove my point. I mean, and I could go on. It's a very long list indeed. But here at the beginning of the book of Acts, we find that incredibly rare thing. A sequel that's even better than the original. Did you see that in verse 1? As we read it a moment ago. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up. This book of Acts, it was written by a, a doctor called Luke. Um, and it was written, it was right to his friend Theophilus. He had already re- written Theophilus, a first book, which we now know as Luke's Gospel. And the express purpose of him writing was to give Theo absolute certainty and confidence in all that Jesus did and taught. Yet here, he risks that tough second album, <laughs> that hazardous sequel, not just to make more money for the franchise. This, was, this sequel was absolutely essential, Luke says, because letter one was only the start of Jesus' ministry. I wonder when you think about Jesus and all, all, that, all that he's done, what you think of? I, 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 I suspect that actually our default position is to defer back to the, to the Gospels and, and think of his birth, his miracles, his teaching. The cross, his resurrection, then that's it. Roll the credits. But here Luke is saying, please forgive me for this. He's saying, baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. Doom, doom. You can tell I'm a bit excited to be back, can't you? But, but isn't that what Luke is saying here? He's saying, Theo, you, were, you haven't seen anything yet. In my first book, I showed you how it began. In my second book, I'm going to show you how it continued. In my first book, I showed you how the kingdom was established. In my second book, I'm going to show you how it expanded beyond your wildest dreams. Jesus, he may have returned to heaven, but he is still at work on the earth. He hasn't stopped. He never will till he returns. And folks, Theo needed to know this. So do I. So do you. Because if we're going to give our lives to and live our lives for Jesus. Though the cost is high and the world seems utterly against us, then we need certainty and confidence to step out in faith. And folks, that's what Luke is going to give us here in his second book. Firstly, by showing us that Jesus is alive. Look at what Luke says next in verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Luke reminds us of his death there in that simple phrase, his suffering. Two short words that contain our forever salvation. But he doesn't dwell on it because he's anxious to show us what happened next. After crucifixion, resurrection. After death, life. After suffering, Presenting. 
Jesus presented himself alive to them by, do you notice this? Not just proofs, but many proofs. And the NIV adds another word in there as well. That translation says many convincing proofs. And I think that's interesting. Because I, I think, well, I, I think this is the case for me. I, I reckon if I'd been there and seen Jesus, you know, face to face there after his resurrection, then it would be so much easier for me to believe in something as ridiculous as that, someone rising from the dead. All my doubts would melt away. But clearly even Jesus' own disciples, his apostles needed some convincing, didn't they? So over 40 days, Jesus gives them many convincing proofs. And it's one of the great joys of being a Christian that our faith is built on real life events in history, not some man with a charismatic personality going, oh, you know what, folks, I've had a dream, a vision. Trust me, follow me on this. But no, we've got a whole load of verifiable events that people have witnessed and testified to in history. And so you need to look into the evidence for that, the many proofs, if you're not yet persuaded. Googling Christianity explored resurrection would be a good place to start. Or you could come and speak to myself and Rob at the end of the service and we can give you a pointer, hopefully, in the right direction. And for those of us who are Christians, we do need to be reminded of these things from time to time. I remember hearing John Chapman, the well-known Australian evangelist, talk a few times about his struggle in this regard. He said he'd, he'd wake up in the morning and he'd think to himself, is, is it true I'm a Christian. I, I've been a Christian all my life. I, I, I'm a Christian teacher. But maybe it's just my upbringing. Maybe it's just the community I'm, I'm in. Maybe it's all just a hoax. Have you ever felt like that? Well, Chapo did. And when he did, he'd go through the same steps. He'd say to himself, Chapo, so I'm not going to do the Australian accent. <laughs> don't, don't, I think that would be, be offensive. Chapo, have you received any new evidence that Jesus didn't exist? I have not. Have you received any evidence that he didn't die? I have not. Any new evidence that he didn't rise from the grave? I have not. Well, then, Brockhead, get on with living for him today. Sometimes even those of us who are Christians, we need to go back and just check the evidence so we can have confidence and certainty. So if you're battling at the moment, if you're, you're drifting at the moment, take your doubts to the empty tomb and let them die there because Jesus is alive. Christianity dies if Jesus isn't alive. Luke's story ends with, with book one if Jesus isn't alive. If he isn't alive, there's only a beginning. And we're not sitting here this morning Yet everything we're going to see in this book of Acts, the disciples risking their lives, speaking boldly of Christ, sharing their possessions with others in need, uh, giving away their, their money, the growth of the church, despite experiencing massive opposition at every turn. It only makes sense if Jesus is alive and that his disciples were utterly convinced of that fact. 
That's the first thing Luke wants to tell us to give us confidence. Here's the second. Jesus promises the Spirit. In fact, to be more precise, he reminds them of the promise he had already shared with them earlier. Do you see that? Verse 4. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, this is a bit where I want to work you a bit harder, right? Okay, so stay with me here. Where had Jesus shared this promise previously? Well, it was, it, it was at his last supper, back in John's gospel. Just before he died, he, he was telling his disciples that, that he was leaving. And then he said, but I, I will send to you from the Father the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness. So, back to Acts chapter 1. It, it should be no surprise to us that, that, that we read on. Verse 6. Uh, they come together. They're asking Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And, and Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and on all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The apostles, they want to know, is this the end? Is this when you're going to make everything right? You're going to, you're going to bring your kingdom to full fulfillment? No. no. No, says Jesus. Don't get your knickers in a twist about the end times. Only God the Father knows the details. And he ain't telling but between now and then, whenever then may be, there's mission. You will be my witnesses. There's a well-known imaginary story that gets told from time to time by preachers about Jesus' return to heaven. It goes something like this. Jesus, he's been through the agony of the cross and he's risen from the grave and ascended to heaven. And, and after the open-top bus parade, he's relaxing over a brew with some of the angels. And one of them puts this question to him. Oh, Lord, you've, you've, you've been through so much. You've won salvation for the humans, but, but there's not very many believers, only a handful of them. What plans do you now have in place now you've gone? And Jesus says, well, oh, it's all up to them. I've left it all up to them. They know the truth, and they will share it with anyone and everyone. There's a bit of an awkward silence follows that statement. <laughs> One of the bolder angels then pipes up and says, um, Lord, I don't know quite how to say this, but um, they've not exactly proven themselves reliable. What other plans have you got in place? To which Jesus says, well, that's plan A. There is no plan B. Well, that story may be very challenging, and we preachers may love to use it, but it leaves out one essential ingredient that Jesus insisted upon, doesn't it? Yes, there's mission, but the key to the mission is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look again at verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Wait, wait in Jerusalem. Wait for the Spirit to be given to you. Don't move a muscle till that happens. 
And then, and only then, you will be my witnesses. The Spirit empowers Christ's followers for mission. He is the missionary spirit. That's why Jesus calls him the spirit of truth in John 14, John 15, John 16. That's why he told his disciples that when he comes, he will convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. And that's why in the next chapter, when the Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, what's the result? Speech. Actually, witnessing to Jesus' speech. It's the hallmark of the Spirit coming. I mean, watch how this works out with one of the leading apostles, Peter. Flick over to Acts chapter 2, the the day of Pentecost. They're all gathered in one place. Peter's among them. And verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak. In other languages to believe with that that, that people gathered in Jerusalem could, could understand, even though they were from all kinds of different nations. But then, by verse 14, Peter stood up to address the crowd. Uh, And once he explained that what they were experiencing here, this this strange phenomenon, was actually Joel's prophecy come true, he speaks of Jesus boldly and proudly. But what about chapter 4? Peter and John, they've been arrested and hauled before the authorities, the the very authorities who had hounded Jesus to death. Can Can you imagine just how terrifying that must have been for Peter and John? But then you come to verse 8, and you read, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, He speaks boldly about Jesus. And as the chapter goes on, somehow they're they're released by the authorities, and and they rush back to the other disciples with an impromptu prayer meeting. And at the end of that, it's almost no surprise now, isn't it? They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And spoke the word of God boldly. Do you see three times in three chapters? Peter and others are filled with the Holy Spirit. And every time he and others speak the word of God boldly. I'm guessing most of us who are Christians here don't really feel that same kind of boldness. We can, we can be quite timid, can't we? And so it begs the question, doesn't it? The awkward question, well, do we really have the Spirit? Well, we need to be careful here that we don't draw the lines too tightly. There is some boldness that is not Spirit boldness at all. It's just ugly brashness rather than speaking about Jesus in Jesus-like ways, boldness. Unless you think these disciples were, they were suddenly superheroes after their baptism in the Spirit. Look at what they actually prayed at the end of chapter 4. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Be honest, folks. Do you tend to pray for things you've already got? I tend to pray about boldness. I'll pray for boldness when it's the last thing I feel. Not feeling bold is not a sign that the Spirit isn't around. No, it's a sign that I should go to my heavenly Father and 
be as assistant as a little child asking for something. Daddy, 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 please. And I should pray for the Spirit to fill me and give me his boldness. We've heard a couple of times so far in the service how God loves to give good gifts to his children. And maybe we don't have because we don't ask. The power of the Spirit is promised. But then thirdly, Jesus also promises exponential growth. Do you see the scope of the mission in verse 8? Going back to that. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying, this is what's going to happen. He's not saying, hey, hey guys, listen, I've had an idea. <laughs> can, you, can you help me work this out, how we might do this? Let's brainstorm together. Could you, could, can you help me get this gospel message out? Wouldn't it be great if we could get one million shares? Wouldn't it be brilliant if we could somehow get it to go viral on Twitter? <laughs> no. Jesus said, here's the plan. This is what is going to happen. It's an unstoppable plan. God the Son has decreed the gospel will be preached in the power of the Spirit starting in Jerusalem and it will go out, it will go out to the very ends of the earth. While I was preparing this sermon on Thursday afternoon, it was transfer deadline day. Uh, if, you, if you're unaware of what that means, it basically means that it's, it's a day when football fans endlessly speculate about who their team might sign for the upcoming uh, season and, and basically, ultimately, it's, it's completely fruitless. But um, deadline day, because of that, deadline day, it was trending on Twitter that day. It was, it, in the UK, it was the number one thing that was trending all day. I'm not sure, by the way, when trending became a verb. When I, when I, when I was at school, things were trendy. And clearly not me. Because I'm now talking you know, like a dad who, if his kids were in the service, would be blushing with embarrassment. I, I, sorry, it's in the job description. Dads, isn't it in the job description? You, you know, you just embarrass your kids. That's the way it goes. But I, I'm not fussed. I'm not trendy anymore. <laughs> but now things are trending, aren't they? And what we mean by that is here is something that is of huge interest at this moment. But it will pass. Things come, don't they? Trends come. And while they happen, they seem self-evidently true and, and almost the most important thing in the whole world. And they dominate our horizons and suck us in and often lead us off course. But then they go. And we move on to the next thing. And folks, I want you to know if you're a Christian here, what we are involved in is not a trend it wasn't just something that was all the rage back in the apostles' time and now it's just kind of drifted. <coughs> and if you feel like it was actually something that was much bigger, much more important in your life when you were younger and now you seem to have just kind of grown out of it a bit, let me tell you that the gospel of Jesus is not trending. It is advancing. The gospel is a power that cannot be stopped. I mean, look with me again. Spoiler alert for, for the book of Acts. Acts 6, verse 7. The apostles that go out, the disciples that go in out, they're, they're sharing the word of the Lord. And what happens? The word of God spread. 
Acts 8, verse 4. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. 12, 24. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. 13, 49. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region. 1920, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Here is the drumbeat of the book of Acts, if you like. It's driving through the book, and no matter what opposition the disciples face, whether they're thrown in jail or they get beaten up and run out of town or even killed, the gospel just keeps spreading and going out. Oh, church, if we could only see There is a power in this message of Jesus that should give us such confidence, even in a culture that finds it utterly untrendy and offensive, because it just cannot be stopped. The gospel will be preached to all nations. And then finally, but crucially, we need to know Fourthly, Jesus is reigning until his return. Look at me finally with uh, verse 9 to 11. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And he said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. It's verse 9. Jesus is gone in a very demonstrable way. Whoosh. So this is different from all his other appearings and disappearings after his resurrection. There's a kind of finality about it. He's gone. Jesus is going to reign until he returns. And so the angels say to the men looking on, what are you looking on? Look, what are you looking at? Stop daydreaming and crack on. Go and tell people about Jesus Christ. Go build the kingdom because that's what Jesus is doing and that's what he's called you to do too. Crack on. That is what Jesus is doing now. He's reigning in heaven and he's building his kingdom. And so unlike you and me, I, I, I don't suppose he's overly anxious about the new occupant of 10 Downing Street or COVID-19 or COVID-20 or 21 or nuclear testing in North, Koran, uh, North Korea or even the cost of living crisis. Like, don't mishear me there. Please don't mishear me. I, I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't care about us and what is going on in his world. Of course he does. His heart is moved towards us. It always is. It's just he doesn't get all knotted up about these things like we do because he's reigning over all things and he is building his kingdom. And when he returns... It will be a perfect kingdom that lasts forever. And so I don't suppose he spends as much time as you and me thinking about work or schools or houses or holidays because he's risen and reigning and he will return. That's the future. 
And until that day, he's calling us. He's saying to us, come, come my children, come and be my witnesses by the power of my spirit and join me in this incredible work I've set out on that will happen of building my unstoppable kingdom. What could be better for us as a church, as individual Christians to commit ourselves to at the start of this new academic year but that? Let me give us a time to think that through, reflect on it, pray it through for ourselves. It'll maybe come home in different ways for each one of us. Let's have a moment of silence to do that. And then we'll sing again. Oh, Lord, in your mercy, please hear our prayers.